Thank you for tuning in to a Centerpoint Church message. Our mission is to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. We hope this message achieves that and inspires you to both grow in your faith and live it out today. Enjoy. Welcome to Centerpoint Church. My name is Aaron Master. I'm the pastor here. You're in for a one-hour service with a mission to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. We like to say we do here what every good Christian church should do, which is to help you connect with God in a worshipful way and help you grow in your relationship with Him. Our style just might be a bit different than other churches in the area, but what we want you to know is we're still true to the Bible. We take God very seriously. We want to guide and encourage you every time you're here. Today we're kicking off a new series that we're calling at the movies and what we're doing is we're looking at some of the summer big movies and seeing what biblical truths we can learn from them summer it just tends to be a time where we're busier anybody busier in summer you're, you got things planned trips all kinds of things you're busy but if we can use some of summer's fun or the natural things we do in summer like watch new movies and find ways to observe and learn from them and find uh, parallels with scripture that's what we're doing in the series is we're doing some parallels with scripture and what maybe some of the movies are showing in today's time let's be real let's just think for ourselves for a second we tend to engage in so many other things besides scripture at times and we tend to forget to involve the Bible into our lives so we hope that each week you're here it inspires you to look into the Bible a bit more and kind of tie it with maybe some of the movies you're seeing this summer but with that, uh, today, our movie that we're covering, I don't know if you caught it on your way in with a fighter pilot, aviators, a jet background, we'll have some Kenny Loggins Danger Zone playing at some point. Any guesses? All right, in case that doesn't give it away, <laughs> we're going to be looking at Top Gun, uh, the original movie a little bit, and then also the Maverick version or the one that's out now. Um, and it's made up of like what a good classic summer blockbuster is all about explosions powerful machines competitiveness bromance romance by the way I do not endorse some of the more romantic scenes in the uh, 80s Top Gun version you guys are risky for PG right but if you've never seen Top Gun I want, or Maverick, uh, I want to give you a little bit of rundown on each so, you know to or so you're totally in the know as we kind of do some parallels with Scripture. Um, for Top Gun, uh, these guys are chosen as pilots. They're in the Navy, and they're the best of the best, and they get called to a school that's called Top Gun. They train and compete with other students to, to be the best. And what they do is they bend the rules a little bit. They take risks. They try to prove themselves. Maverick, the pilot, Tom Cruise, and his best bud, Goose, the co-pilot who runs the guns and the missiles, uh, they're besties. They're besties in the movie. And they not only fly together, but they do life together. They spend time out and about. They know each other's uh, girlfriends or spouses. Uh, Tom Cruise in the movie has like this love thing with the flight instructor. But one day, Goose and Maverick, they get caught in airlock while flying, and they have to eject, and Goose hits the glass and doesn't make it. Uh, and Maverick mourns, he's saddened by this, and he has to continue on and achieve his mission, uh, and you get to see that he, it's a mission accomplished at the end. So that's Top Gun. Uh, fast forward many years, Maverick is now created. Uh, it's out in the theaters right now. Uh, and it's the same situation. It basically evolves a little bit. Top Gun is still a school where they train the best of the best, and they bring Maverick to be their instructor. See if you can... Here, here's a little clip of him getting called. <laughs> <laughs> 
Your instructor is one of the finest pilots this program has ever produced. His exploits are legendary. What he has to teach you may very well mean the difference between life and death. I feel like we're in the movies right now. Feels good, right? Um, so Maverick used to be a student, now he's an instructor. Uh, but one of the students that he actually instructs is Rooster, or Goose's son. Again, Maverick's co-pilot who died in the first movie. And it goes on through this struggle of their lack of communication, this tension, this care for each other, not really understanding their relationship. Rooster dislikes Maverick for his protectiveness over him, and Maverick is still kind of mourning his dad. And they have this mission in the movie where they need to be tight together as one, flying planes in kind of these low places. And without giving spoilers, they have to overcome their relationship tensions to become the best, save the day, and get the girl in the end of the movie is kind of what all blockbusters have, right? As I mentioned in my email, though, this week, I saw the movie on Wednesday. I give it five stars. It's definitely worth the view, so check it out. But a truth that we can see from these movies, the two Top Gun movies, is a friendship with a solid bond that is close, that is known, that is intentional is amazing. It can accomplish huge things with someone who maybe has your back, one who's real with you, one who's there for you, communicates well with you, and is one that you can count on. That can lead to amazing things is what these movies show. Get a real life truth and the one that we're going to seek the Bible to kind of guide us in is a real close relationship. They're incredibly hard to start. They're super difficult to maintain, and they're even more difficult to hold on to when tensions get tough. As you think today, who are your friends? Who are your friends? Do you have a close friend that you could see as a wingman or a wingwoman? Do you wish you had more or one more? Do you struggle maybe with loneliness or a desire for more friendships, but just don't have someone you see as that close? If I'm being honest, friendships haven't been the easiest for me. Uh, I think it's easy for maybe me to like come, come across as someone who has a ton of friends or whatever. Aaron must know a lot of people. But I definitely don't have like a goose or a maverick in my life or people who I see as a wingman in all things. Uh, I honestly, I, I don't have a lot, in, a lot of amazing close friendships. And part of me craves it as I would love to have them. I mean, don't you? Don't you wish you would have these close friendships like we see in movies? Well, to give you a little rundown on my relationships in the past, for me, growing up, I had multiple friends as, as a kid. I mean, back then, like, growing up, you would just have, like, your parents, like, invite someone over for you, and I did that until I was about 20, and then, um, kidding, right? But I, but I could get along with anyone, right? As a kid, you could get along with anyone. Then in high school, bonds would, would be because maybe sports or clubs or classes or hobbies like, you worked out together, you, you ate this food together, or you worked at this particular place. And it was all around a common interest or a common place that you'd be at. Then, moving on, I went to college. Uh, it got a bit harder for me. I had to start over, new city. But I was still around a ton of people all the time. And at that time, 
I was kind of trying to figure out who I was as a person. Am I a Christian or not? Am I driven or not? Am I a leader or not? Am I someone who's going to take my study seriously or not? And, and what happened for me is, is I tried to hold on to old friendships in high school, even though I didn't do those same things like the sports and the hobbies, but I tried to hold on to those. And I also tried to create new friendships doing those same things too, the sports, the hobbies that I wasn't doing now. And it just wasn't working. And this tension of trying to be career-oriented or having like friendships that were, were driven for a goal of some sort of, of life, and it just got messy for me in college. Then post-college or into adult life, it got even harder. Uh, again, new city, new job. It didn't just easily happen where you happen to be in a room next to someone that you just could naturally be friends with. You had to try. You had to seek people out. I could resort to some past relationships, but I was changing as a person. I don't know if you can relate. I mean, I'm sure you've been there. You've, you've gone through change. Your friends go through change. Your interests change over the time. You're maybe in a new city or a new job, and you kind of feel stranded sometimes. You feel isolated. But I felt my close relationships had to change. I had to develop them. And again, it was effort. It is effort today. I'm tired. I'm tired, so I don't put the effort in, and loneliness kind of sets in sometimes. And anytime I start something new, it doesn't feel like what I had in the past, that closeness in the past. Now, it just doesn't seem possible to me, or I struggle with finding that wingman or wingwoman or whatever to have a relationship like we see in these movies. Now, that's me, and I'm venting a little bit about friendships with you, but I want, but I want to guess that you can relate a little too. Yet, we see in these movies, we see in these movies, Maverick, Goose, Rooster, they have these deep relationships that go, simply, that go past simply talking about the weather or the superficial stuff. And it makes me wonder, is it just a movie or is it actually real? Are those relationships possible? Because if I'm being honest, I would love a strong relationship like what you see in these movies. Don't you? But is that deep, meaningful relationship with others something God desires? And that's what we're looking at, because it's an eternal human desire, right? Well, the good news is it is in the Bible. If we just kind of do like a topical look of like what God says about friendships in the Bible, I mean, uh, it says in Proverbs 18, 24, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. There's someone out there. Uh, John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, than that someone laid down his life for his friends. Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. You see it. It's, it's in Scripture. But how do we get it? How do we get it? How do we start them? How do we hold on to relationships like that? How do we reconcile ones that, that get in this place of tension? And that's where I think we can see parallels with Brewster and Goose and Maverick and Top Gun, the relationships there, parallels to a particular biblical relationship that we're going to look at all day today. And the one we're going to look at is, I think, one of the greatest relationships in the Old Testament of the Bible, and it's with Jonathan and David. David and Jonathan, their relationship starts after David kind of defeats Goliath. I don't know if you've heard the story of David and Goliath. I'm sure you have. But there's a little bit of information you need to know before that actually happens. Before that friendship starts, it's in 1 Samuel 13. And it goes kind of, this whole story kind of goes through 1 Samuel 13 and continues to 2 Samuel chapter 1. But a little background you need to know is David, of David and Goliath, before he even goes down, or before that battle goes down, 
there's some details. And what happens is this guy named Samuel, one of God's prophets of that time, he comes to predict David to be the next king. He's just this young man. He's just this young boy at the time, the youngest of all his brothers, but he's predicted to be the next king. And it starts to kind of get out, but it's not really super public yet. Well, before David transitions into being king, he continues to live as a shepherd boy. He's a shepherd boy, and he actually was a harp player for the king. Like, just, can you picture it, playing a harp for the king? Like, it seems kind of weird, but he plays for this king named Saul, and Saul has a son named Jonathan. Jonathan was fierce, and he's one who didn't back down on battles and attempted to be honorable with God in everything he did. We could see this actually uh, in 1 Samuel 14. It says this, and this is before David and Goliath happens, but it says, One day Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come on, let's go over to where the Philistines have their outposts. To reach the Philistine outpost, Jonathan had to go down between this rocky, these rocky cliffs through a valley, which was extremely dangerous back then. But it says, let's go across to the outpost of those pagans, Jonathan said to his armor bearer. Perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. Do what you think is best, the armor bearer replied. I'm with you completely, whatever you decide. And they go and they defeat 20, verse 2. The armor bearer and Jonathan, and they defeat 20. And that attack allows them to defeat the Philistines and their nation is victorious in that battle. But what we can see is Jonathan is both fierce, he's strong, and he's godly. Like, he's pursuing God. Fast forward a little bit. God's people are once again in the standstill with the Philistines, Goliath this time, and the battle is on this giant. And what happens is David is just a boy. He shows up to the battlefield. He's visiting to drop his brothers off a sandwich, literally. Like, he's, hey, uh, Dad told me to drop a sandwich off to you guys, seeing what's going on here. And what happens is he sees what's going on, he understands what's going on, and he decides he's going to go against Goliath with a sling and a stone. And, and he defeats this Goliath, this giant. But this action, it prompts Saul, the king of, the time, of that time, to be like, who are you again? Weren't you that guy that played the harp for me? You know, like, is kind of what he's thinking. And the prophecy of David to be that potential king, it's out there, but... It wasn't something the king was really ready to embrace and really believed in, in a sense. But after this all goes down, the king's son, Jonathan, he creates this amazing bond with David. It says this in 1 Samuel 18, 1 through 4. After David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. There was this immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. From that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David, together with his tunic, sword, bow, and belt. The Bible says their souls connected. Now, I get it. Sounds a little strange. Love, giving clothes to another man, maybe feels kind of weird. But it's implying that they're united on such a profound truth. Being obedient to God and leading well. Right? They're bonded on that. And we see Jonathan instantly offers a sacrifice for David. He knows David is God's chosen successor. Which, that acknowledgement is crazy because Jonathan would actually become the next king if it wasn't for David. Yet Jonathan believes so fully in what God wants that he's willing to back it and be there for David. That's amazing. They become great friends. Saul, the current king of that time, on the other hand, sees David as kind of just this powerhouse that he wants to have next to him, but he doesn't really love everything about him. Check this out. It says in 1 Samuel 18, 5, 
Whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So Saul made him a commander over the men of war, an appointment that was welcomed by the people and Saul's officers alike. They love it. They like that, that David's there. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, women from all over the town of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. This was their song. Saul has killed thousands and David has killed ten thousands. The beginning of the verse is, is like, sweet, this guy's doing victory for me, right? Is probably what Saul's thinking. And then it's like, wait, they think he's better than me, right? He's getting a little jealous because... What happens is Saul could care less about being obedient to God. He was more about public perception. He was more about power than anything else. Even though, even though everyone loves David, and you can clearly see this throughout Scripture, David is chosen by God. He's victorious. God gives him battles. Jonathan loves him. Saul's daughters even loved David. You could see this, like, they were supposed to be, like, multiple ones were supposed to be married to David, and Saul's like, nah, not you, no, not you. And, like, it finally gets to a point where David, uh, you can, Saul realized that the Lord was with David and how much his daughter Michal loved him. Saul became even more afraid of him, and he remained David's enemy for the rest of his life. Everyone loves David. Saul can't see that God has chosen David and he's oblivious to this, and he's fighting against God, even to the point where he's like, i got to get rid of David. i got to get rid of him. Uh, and this is where we see the real bond between Jonathan and David. And the next move of Saul is this. It says this in 1 Samuel 19. Saul now urged his servants and his son Jonathan to assassinate David. But Jonathan, because of his strong affection for David, told him what his father was planning. Tomorrow morning, he warned him, you must find a hiding place out in the fields. I'll ask my father to go out there with me, and I'll talk to him about you. Then I'll tell you everything I can find out. The next morning, Jonathan spoke with his father about David, saying many good things about him. The king must not sin against his servant David, Jonathan said. He's never done anything, or anything to harm you. And Saul's kind of like, I guess you're right. I guess you're right. I won't do anything. And all of a sudden, David comes back. But literally, like three verses later, this is what happens. One day Saul's sitting at home with a spear in hand. The tormenting spirit from the Lord suddenly came upon him. David's playing his harp for him. And Saul hurls a spear at him. And he dodges out of the way. As you can see, Saul's a bit unpredictable in the Bible. But what happens literally over and over and over again is this is the attempt of Saul to get rid of David. Yet David creates this trust with Jonathan who communicates with him how his dad's feeling in those situations. David even vents with Jonathan about his situation. It says, what have I done? He exclaimed. What's my crime? How have I offended your father that he's so determined to kill me? So David responds by leaving. He goes and hides and gets away from the, the tension. And Jonathan and him keep, continue to have this bond. You can see uh, in verse 42, it says, Go in peace, is what Jonathan says to David. Go in peace. We've sworn loyalty to each other. We've sworn loyalty to God. And there's a witness, God's been our witness of our bond. But Saul is still there, and there's still this tension. Finally, they, they, they get to a point where uh, David, he continues to avoid Israel and Saul. But to make a long story shorter, one day Saul, he gets himself in a battle where his sons, Jonathan included, and him get captured and killed, and David is crushed, right? His best friend is, is now dead. And it says this, David writes a song even for Saul and Jonathan. It says, David composed a funeral song for Saul and Jonathan, and he commanded that it be taught to the people of Judah, and he becomes king. As you can see, David and Jonathan, they have this incredible bond that surpasses 
conflict, tension, so much. Now, David is mourning over, over Jonathan, but we see that they have this bond that surpasses talking about the weather or meaningless things. They have a friendship that's real, that has each other's backs, that, that knows that they can count on each other for, one that, if I'm being honest, I would love to have. I would love to have a relationship like that, wouldn't you? So what specific things do we need to do to have a relationship like that? In creating that and maintaining that and in holding on to it, even in tension times, right? Because if, again, if I'm being honest, all those are hard. All those are hard to do. Yet I think there's four specific things that we can do that actually I think Maverick Goose and Rooster model. And in our comparison and analysis, I think it can help us realize that we can find a wingman or a wingwoman in our life when we do these things. The first thing is this, um, it's putting yourself out there. Put yourself out there. In order to have a friendship that's the type of close relationship that you want, you have to put yourself out there in the mix with other people. Like David and Jonathan, they both wanted to be warrior-like men who followed God's lead to follow God's desires. And they didn't back down from challenges, so they put themselves out there. David, he puts himself out there going after Goliath. Jonathan puts himself out there by going after 20 people when it's just him and another guy. They're not backing down. In Maverick and Goose and in, in Top Gun, they put themselves out there by trying to be the best pilots out there for their nation, for their, their area. They join the Navy. They take risks to be the best. They even unite around having fun together by doing stuff like this. Check it out. Tower, this is Ghost Rider requesting a flyby. Negative, Ghost Rider. The pattern is full. No, no, ma'am. This is not a good idea. Sorry, Goose, but it's time to buzz the tower. <laughs> Gotta have a good flyby, right? In the new movie, Maverick, he puts himself out there too by choosing to have Rooster be his wingman in a plane next to him during a mission, and they end up saving each other. For us today, to start a friendship in an area or a way you desire, where do you need to put yourself out there? For you, is it putting yourself out there by maybe signing up or actually attending that group, that club? Maybe it's a church group or a life group. Maybe it's a mom's club. Maybe it's a sports league or a fitness center. What is it that you actually need to sign up for and show up for? Maybe for you it's actually acting on serving. You've been talking a bunch of talk about doing this one thing or maybe trying this one thing or helping out with this one thing, but have you actually done it, like actually volunteered with the group, showing up where others are going to be at? For you, is it maybe saying yes to kind of an awkward invitation? Someone asks you, hey, you should come and hang out with us, and you know it's going to be kind of weird, but you've got to put yourself out there to try it anyways to create new friendships. No matter what type of friendship you're looking for, with putting yourself out there, there's going to be an amount of risk that you have to take, right? That amount of risk and sacrifice that's necessary. If we go back to Jonathan and David, David risked his life. He risked his life by going after Goliath. And then in response to that, Jonathan sacrifices immensely by giving him his clothes. Again, look at the verse. It says, Jonathan sealed the pack by taking off his robe and giving it to David, together with his tunic, sword, bow, and belt. David was a poor peasant, and he, Jonathan is this rich king's son, and he gives him his stuff. Now, I'm not saying take your clothes off for your friends or anything like that, but there needs to be some sort of gesture, right? 
in response. You're not going to meet people or develop friendships by sitting back and just spectating. I remember, uh, for me, when I, I would come home from college in the summer, and uh, many times that meant coming home and partying with my, my old friends. But if you haven't heard my face story before, in college, I felt I needed to kind of quit this living of this double life of like saying I'm a Christian, but not really living it like it and like partying it up. And I like, I kind of had that moment in college at some point. And I remember one year coming back home um, for the summer after having this kind of newfound confidence in God. And instead of inviting my friends to a party like I used to do every summer, like, hey, let's party, come on over, I was inviting them to a Bible study. <laughs> uh, it was a Bible study I was starting out in college. I knew nothing then. I knew like, literally nothing. And I had no idea if they would be into it, but I was putting myself out there. It was a risk, and the risk produced a response that allowed me to see which friends are open to my new idea of following Jesus, which friends are actually okay with this. Now, that was me. What's that risk for you? Where do you need to put yourself out there for friendships? The second thing I think that we can learn from the relationships in Top Gun and with David and Jonathan is you need to declare your relationship. This is not something I personally like or prefer, but I'm teaching scripture. And over and over again in the Bible, with Jonathan and David, they told each other how they actually felt about each other. Look at this chapter alone in 1 Samuel 20. In verse 3 it says, Then David took an oath before Jonathan. They'd like tell each other's promises. In 17 it says, And Jonathan made David reaffirm his vow of friendship again. And then in verse 42, We have sworn loyalty to each other in the Lord's name. There's a bond between us and our children forever. They share how they feel. Now, as a man right now, if I'm sitting in the seat listening like you are right now, I'd be thinking, this is just something I'm going to pass on, Aaron. I'm just, I'm just going to pass on this one. Like, this is not really my thing. Tell people how I feel about them. I'm good, right? That's, maybe, that's kind of what I'm thinking if I was in the seat right now. I know some of you are thinking that right now. But I want you to think. Sometimes it's nice to just hear the actual words. I trust you. I have your back. You're a really good friend. I'm counting on you. When you hear those, it makes you think about your relationship. It enriches your relationship with that person. What if you declared that in the relationships you had? I mean, let's be real. No one really does that unless you somehow got sucked into like a little heart-to-heart -heart moment with someone and they sucked you in or maybe you drank a bit too much and all of a sudden you're sharing a lot. And, but what if we actually followed through with this biblical example more often? What if we made it not weird? Actually, I'm going to be real with you for a second. No matter what, it's going to be weird. It's going to be awkward in our context today. But what if you place that awkwardness on yourself to make your relationships greater? In our movie, Maverick declares Rooster as his wingman. He declares what he needs to do to become this really great fighter pilot. Check it out. Here's a scene from it. Rooster, where are you? Hang in there. All right, let's go but he has a lot to learn. Forget the book. Trust your instincts. Throughout the movie, you can see that he's, he's coaching him, he's helping him, he's telling him what he needs to do, telling him who he is to him so that their relationship can develop. But they have this long history prior to that of not really understanding their relationship, why they were doing certain things for each other, confused of what each other thought of each other. But 
when the declaration's made, you're my wingman, it changes the perspective, it changes their relationship. What if you did that for someone you have a relationship with? Would it enrich your friendship? Would it enrich your understanding of who your friend is to you? The third thing that I think we can see from both of these stories, Maverick and Goose and Jonathan and David, is they address tension. Jonathan and David, they address their differences and frustrations, whether, with each other's, whether it was with each other or whether it was with each other's family. Look at what David says to Jonathan. He exclaims, What have I done? What is my crime? How I have offended your father is that he's so determined to kill me. With Maverick in, in the first Top Gun, there's a scene that's kind of, I feel, similar to this. Um, there's a scene where Goose uh, and Maverick, they disobeyed an order by a general, and they get kind of called into the general's office where he's going to discipline them, and it brings this tension between them, like they're frustrated at each other, and they address it. Goose addresses it with Maverick. Check out how they handle it. What's up? Can't sleep. <laughs> You know, when I first realized that going to Top Gun, all I could think about was getting that trophy. I gotta be straight with you, Mav. Right now, I just hope we graduate. I got a family to think about. I can't afford to blow this. Yeah, I guess that flyby wasn't such a big hit, huh? They address the tension that could cause division. It could cause future issues. In the new movie, Rooster and Maverick, they don't for a long time in the movie. And you see it's problematic throughout this whole movie until they address it. For us, how often do you actually address tension instead of just letting it go or waiting a few days that turns into a few years of actually dealing with your tension in your close relationships? I'm going to give you a few statistics here. Because we tend to be friends with like, uh, people we go to school with, or work, or church, or our spouses, or neighborhood. But here's a few statistics about how friendships are. Listen to this. 68% of teens, they see their friends stir up drama with other friends on social media and never address it. 60, or 85% of workers in the workplace experience conflict with other workers. 65% of divorcees said that communication problems were at the top of the list of the reason for their divorce. It's inevitable to avoid conflict. We are going to get in conflict with each other. Yet, if I share a little bit of my opinion for just a few seconds here, based off of social media arguments that I see, the amount of people living, or that are leaving the workplace today, and, and the percentage of marriages that end in divorce, we're horrible at addressing tension. We're horrible at it. In our modern context with friendships, I feel what we do in the right word to describe of how we handle conflict these days that's not the right way is we ghost people. We ghost people. We just disappear. We don't address it. We leave people on red. We cancel them, and we look for something new. I honestly, I remember myself being a ghost to a lot of people. I'm not super proud of this, but I would do this to like friends in high school and in college or girls I was dating in high school and college, and I would just disappear, not respond. Instead of addressing the tension of what I didn't like or the conflict we had or whatever happened, I would just ghost. I'd leave. It was easier, less work, less emotional. Today, like kind of having a bird's eye view looking in on what I did in my life, 
and reflecting on my life and what I did, I can see I hurt people, but I also missed out on an opportunity of having really great friendships, which has pushed me to now be direct in, in how I handle things, to address my conflicts. From my closest friendships all the way to people who maybe attend here at church, Honestly, uh, uh, I seek to address everything whenever there is a little bit of tension to my wife. It's probably really annoying at home. Uh, at home, it's like, all right, babe, like, why aren't you smiling right now? Just like, what, what's going on? Like, I, is there something wrong? Or, hey, like, I, did I do something to make you feel this way? Or what can I do to fix it? And then it goes all the way to church. Like, if you maybe have been coming here for a while and maybe you miss a few weeks in a row, you've probably gotten a message from me like, hey, how are you? I hope I haven't offended you in some way recently. I'm sorry if I have. Let's catch up. I do this because, honestly, I know addressing tension is hard in relationships, yet one where neither of us actually address it, we don't get to learn from or grow from, or we just let it fester, and it doesn't seem right. We need to address it. As you think about you, where do you need to address tension with a friend? How do you need to get yourself to actually speak up in relationships that you do not want to lose? The last thing that I think we can see uh, in having a friendship like David and Jonathan or Maverick and Goose is to have loyalty to Christ-likeness. Now, being loyal to the Christ-likeness is being loyal to the traits of Jesus in your friendships over anything else. David and Jonathan, they, they're Old Testament, so they didn't have Jesus to look to as a guide to how to live in or act in their friendships, but they had some character traits of Jesus. For Jonathan, he obviously was family with Saul at that time, right? The guy who wanted to get rid of David because of jealousy, anger, rage, those things are not Christ-likeness. He wanted to kill him, yet this brought Jonathan to have Christ-likeness to David, to loyalty to him. Now, Jonathan, he had loyalty to that, not his family. Helping David, caring for his needs, not getting sucked into evil. We see this also a bit with Goose and Maverick. Goose had Maverick's back in his situations that he'd get into. And Maverick had loyalty to Goose, not the competition, not the, what others thought, not his ego. When it comes to relationships that you're in, are you choosing Christ-likeness? There are times you probably wonder, like, how should I handle this situation? What should I do here? Like, what advice should I give to my close friend? What action should I do for my close friend? In what way should I support, even though I, I see conflict? How do I address this? And as a Christian person, our guide and answer to those tough moments is choosing what would Jesus do. It's choosing the traits of Jesus. Forgiveness, grace, kindness, self-control, truth, love. When you have a friendship that is centered on Christ-likeness or the ways of God, it can then thrive. It's going to get somewhere good. As you assess your relationships or think about the ones you have at work, home, school, your past relationships, the ones that maybe you're trying to develop right now, do you have a centeredness on Jesus? Do they? It's okay if they don't, but yours should be predictable to them because you are centered on Jesus, and your centeredness should help others understand who you are and what decisions you're going to make. And although we see that it's possible to have close friends without having this Christ-likeness, because Maverick and Goose, we don't know, but we see that God enriches relationships when it does have centeredness on Christ-likeness, like with Jonathan and David. I don't know about you, but I'll take any advantage I can get to have better relationships in my life ones that are deeper and stronger. So as you think about you, 
and attempt to create real, meaningful friendships. Wingmen, wingwomen. Have you put yourself out there? Have you declared the relationship? Have you addressed tension? And do you have loyalty to Christ-likeness? Which one do you need to act on this week? Which one do you need to act on in the relationships in your life right now? I'm going to pray that God helps us work on a particular one that maybe comes to mind or that really like stirred in us as, as we we're talking today uh, that we can act on. But specifically, there's one being Christ-like that's important. If you've never embraced being Christ-like, but you, you want those character traits to be embodied through you, but you've never said that to God and you never had God reveal those things to you and you want it, I'm going to pray for you as well, and you can embrace those things and tell God you want that Christ-like character traits in your life and in your relationships. Would you pray with me as we close? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for just giving us some clear examples of, of how to have meaningful, real, good relationships. God, we just pray that uh, whatever that is that stuck out to us, we just pray that we act on you have it be something that stirs in us so that we can have meaningful relationships with someone maybe we already are in a relationship with or maybe it's someone that we're looking for. But God, I just pray that you have us act on it, change, change in us so that we can be a good wingman or wingwoman to someone else. And then God, some of us are saying we want Christ-likeness. We want to embrace who you are, your ways, your teachings, and have us become these friends that are like David, are like Jonathan, that are honorable to you. Have us be in pursuit of you and just make it easy for us to know what it is you want. And we're saying we want to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.